Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio, on with the show. Hi, folks. I know you already know that we're coming up to our first birthday and that our party is this Friday, the 3rd of July. But, you know, nothing wrong with another reminder. So I would love you to come. There's two times, so it should work for you no matter where you are in the world. You'll get a chance to meet others in the Take On Board community, share in some prizes. After all, what's a party without presents? And you'll have an opportunity to discuss topics amongst yourselves and to ask me whatever questions you like. There's a link to book in the show notes or in the Take On Board Facebook group. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues and encouraging them to subscribe. I really appreciate you helping me to build the Take On Board community. If you haven't had a chance yet, please do so. You can either send them this episode, just scroll down and hit the share button, or just ask them to search Take On Board in their favourite podcast app. And while I'm here, a couple of quick shout outs to some of you in the Take On Board community that I met this week. To Sherry in Brisbane, good luck with the Women in Aviation application. To Yukti, it was awesome to meet you. And to Rebecca Bartell, glad you came to be part of this group via the fabulous Susan Staples. Last but not least, a very quick shout out to the recent graduates of my board Kickstarter program. Eleanor Fritzer, Hannah Brown, Shannon De Lamotte, Peter Williams, Nicole Baker, Mel Curtis, Nicole Vaughan, Liz Ellis, Lisa Struthers, Diana David, Amy Wells and Adamina Ivkovici. It was awesome to spend the last three Saturdays with all of you and I cannot wait to hear that you've all been appointed to boards. Thanks again, everyone. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Sarah Favor about social unrest and COVID and the board's role in setting the tone. First, let me tell you a bit about Sarah. Starting with a background in agriculture and biotechnology, Sarah's own transformative journey from the research lab to the boardroom has led to a career devoted to helping others integrate profit and purpose. Sarah is a public and private company board director and business evolution coach from Austin, Texas. 
She's on the board of Farmer Mac, One More Cloud, and NACD Texas Tri-Cities Advisory Board. And she was formerly on the boards of Texas Red Angus Association, Viagen Incorporated, Genomics FX, and Exeter Life Sciences. Her first board experience was as an executive member and co-founder on a VC-funded ag biotech, Genomics FX, during the crazy dot-com heyday. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Sarah. Thank you, Helga. So great to have you here. And indeed, Sarah and I were at a virtual conference together last week, Decision 84. So it was fabulous to connect there with a bunch of like-minded directors. Sarah, before we explore our topic for today, social unrest and COVID and the board's role in setting the tone, we'd love to hear just a little bit more about you. Can you tell me a story about young Sarah that tells us a bit about how you got to where you are today? My young Sarah story actually is sort of in the early stages of my career when I was in the dot-com heyday, when I was doing those biotech startups, and I got really, really burned out. VC funding, NASDAQ crashed. I mean, it was just horrible. I got so tired of hearing it's nothing personal, it's just business, which usually was what you heard right before you got stabbed in the back. So I got so burned out, I left started a grass-fed beef company and was in the middle of running that. I had two young kids and I got a call from the White House one day while I was sitting selling beef at a farmer's market. And I almost hung up on them because really, who believes the White House is calling them? (laughs) And it was the White House personnel office and they asked if I would be interested in serving on the board of Farmer Mac, which is the Ag Mortgage GSE. And that changed my life. And we can talk about that later. But the, the take-home message there is how I got, how they got my name. I was a political nobody, but I belonged to a pretty liberal church. And when Obama got elected, you could submit your name to be considered for a position in his administration, which I did because I thought it was cool that he was pulling up virtual nobodies thinking that, yeah, right, he's not really doing that. And they pulled my name out of that database. Wow. It's such a great lesson for people, I guess, in a way. Uh, I know here in Victoria, in Australia, where I am, and I know a number of other, the state governments around Australia have registers for these things. And likewise, no doubt around the world. So put your name down. Just out of interest, what came up on the phone? Was it a private number or was it an actual number? Because I'm imagining it didn't say a White House. But what came up on the phone? It said private number, but because I was a direct-to-consumer business, I and that was before the days of so much phone spam, I always answered the phone if I was able to. So he answered the phone and said, this is Ben Flatgard of the White House Personnel Office. And that's when I almost hung up. But I had seen a change.gov bumper sticker earlier that day and was just wondering if they ever did anything with all those Oh, my God. What a fantastic story. So what did you say when he says, I'm Ben, whoever from the White House recruitment people, which is not quite what you said, but what did you actually say? Well, I admitted, you know, I'd served on boards as a president of my biotech but I wasn't really even sure whether it was going to be a compensated board position or not. (laughs) And I was afraid to admit my ignorance. So I said, okay, I'll consider it. (laughs) 
Oh, how fabulous. Right. So, you know, two things I can hear in there. One, put your name down for things. Second, answer the call. Yeah. (laughs) And the power of positive thinking, because if I was really skeptical, I never would have thrown my name in the hat. Put your name down on these registers, folks. I'll do some digging around and see uh, there'll be a couple of them that I might be able to link to in the show notes. I'll do my best, folks, but might not be able to find all of them. Just Google wherever you are, uh, register for government appointments or something along those lines in your local state or country. I'm sure you'll find some of them and put your name down because somebody might make the call and look where you'll end up. So, Sarah, today we're talking about social unrest And in that, I'm guessing we're talking about the Black Lives Matter protests and movement, I should say, and COVID and the board's role in setting the tone. So I should say that we are recording this on the 17th of June. I don't usually date my podcasts, but with so much going on in the world at the moment, it's it's worthwhile doing it because things change so quickly. So can I first check, how are you and your family going with both of these things? And then let's talk about the board. Well, I count myself lucky every day. I am in pretty extreme lockdown with my family. I have two, an 18 and 20 year old at home, and I'm a divorced parent, both step parents, both my husband and their dad's wife are at really high risk. So we have this little dual household bubble where everybody is in total lockdown. I have lots of extra time with my kids. They have no time with their friends. So I'm not minding it so much. I still get to see my horse. <laughs> and I realize just exactly how lucky I am. I I have rearranged my business to be completely virtual. And we're far enough outside of the Austin, Texas metropolitan area that the protests have not mattered to us physically, although certainly emotionally as a, as a pretty serious empath, um, they weigh on me a lot. Mm, it is a very difficult time, I think. And I guess even that's a, a position of privilege. In I'm thinking about my own reaction to that, thinking it, it weighs on heavily, you know, it weighs on me and worries me. And then you think, well, oh, that's the least of the uh, concern of those that are much more directly impacted by this. But I think these sorts of conversations about how the board can react and can operate in setting the tone is even more important. In thinking about that, we are obviously in a pretty unusual time at the moment. Uh, I can't imagine there are going to be many more years like 2020, but maybe there will. But we're in a very unusual time. And for those of us in Australia, we started with the bushfire period, which was incredibly impactful for the start of the year, leading into COVID, leading into the Black Lives Matter movement, being catalysed by what's going on in the world. So how does that impact you as a director? Tell me about how that's impacted you and the boardroom conversations that you're having. So I'm going to tell you another little story. So in my day job, I'm an executive coach, and I'm very much about integrating profit and purpose. And I've also been running a board readiness program for a couple of years where I help primarily women, but a diversity-focused program to help people get on boards. And this whole thing, even before the George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, has made me take a strong look at what's important in my life, realizing how important family is. And after the George Floyd thing, I spent a lot of time on my morning walks thinking about 
was my effort pointed in the most effective direction? And as a public company board director, I'm very well compensated and I have been working hard to secure another one of those positions. And what just was really questioning myself is that, is that my highest and best use? And I, what I realized is that one of the things the, the board does is hire and fire the CEO. I was brought on the board right after Farmer Max CEO had been fired for not really misappropriation of funds, but the compensation had incentivized him to take make some really risky investments that went south and endangered the company. So they had just had a CEO turnover. That was 12 years ago, 11 or 12 years ago. So I came on right after that new CEO was put in. That CEO turned out to be a cultural disaster. (laughs) And we replaced him with another CEO. And we subsequently had to replace that CEO for non-financial reasons. And we have a new CEO, or he's been there a couple of years. And we finally learned to really pay attention to culture and ethics and The person that we brought in has transformed the culture of the company. It is, has gone from having no women in the C-suite and the layer below or very few to we now have a woman of color as our CFO. We have diversity of all types at all levels of the organization. After five years of chairing the diversity committee, we now have three women on the board after 10 years of being the only woman on the board and we have a woman as our board chair and all but one of the candidates we interviewed for board positions this year were diverse. And I thought that's the issue around Black Lives Matter is not just a police brutality issue. It's a systemic issue. It's systemic inequality. It's systemic racism. It's all, it's got to be addressed everywhere. And you know, as a conscious capitalist, I went from being burned out and running that farm to I got exposed to conscious capitalism and I, be, I met good people in business and became a believer that business is the main source, force for good. We can't wait for the government to do it, especially these days. It's got to come through business and it's got to go, come through individual development. And so I kind of talked myself back into, yeah, being a board member is probably the most impactful thing you can do. I would love to hear more about this. And as, in as much as you're able to share, I'm wondering, you know, it sounded pretty clear for the first CEO that was exited just before you came on. But then I heard the next one, I think it was, I think I've got this right, was a cultural disaster. And since then, you've got the new CEO on who has really paid attention to culture and ethics. Now, it's something I think a lot of boards struggle with in terms of culture. We all know it's important. How much do you see in the boardroom and what do you need to see in the boardroom so that you know that somebody is either being a cultural disaster or that they're paying attention? How has that played out in the boardroom? What are the sorts of things that you needed to see so that you had proper oversight of that? So one of the things that was actually pretty important was being able to have really thorough vetting through our recruiter and having a recruiter that we could trust to dig and do that. Um, I feel like I brought some value to the board 
through my coaching experience in reading in the interviews and just kind of, this is so stereotypical, but kind of being the only woman, I really relied on my intuition to get a read of all of the candidates that we interviewed. Mm -hmm. And this person definitely came across as just having more integrity and being more, more real. You know, after that experience, I can tell you, we asked a lot tougher questions in the interview process after having been burned. What sort of questions were you asking? Because I think this will be really helpful for others as they're doing the same process. What are some of the questions that you asked? Well, the issues that we were facing as a company around that, I don't think we really, even at that point, had a full grasp of what the cultural issues we had were. But we knew that we needed someone who was going to be able to handle difficult personal situations. And so we asked a lot of questions about, you know, how would you handle someone who wasn't fitting in? How would you handle this situation? How would you handle? Mm -hmm. And so we asked a lot more hypothetical questions about their interactions. And then it sounds like since that person came on, the board got a lot more insight into how the organization was actually running in relation to culture. We did. Now, that was also our regulator required that we do a cultural survey, which we actually did too. So we did one for the regulator and we have since implemented an ongoing cultural survey program, Mm -hmm. as well as finally hiring a full-time HR executive. So getting some of the data and then putting some of the resources in And how has both of those things, getting some of the data from the cultural survey and having the HR director, how how has that changed what comes to the boardroom? It's changed a lot. I mean, I think we would have asked for some of this anyway, but having someone with an executive position in HR means we now have someone with that kind of stature who can come in and actually discuss things with the board Before we had a more junior person who kind of kept track of things and she would report to the board, but that's not the same thing. Yeah, there's so much in there that will help other boards in thinking about how they keep oversight of culture. Is there anything else from that experience that you've had that would be useful advice for other directors and other boards and other organisations in keeping oversight of culture? There's two things. So I was mentioned I was on the diversity committee for mm. chaired the diversity committee for five years. Even having a diversity committee, a lot of organizations don't have that. So tell us more. It was a subcommittee of the board. It was one of the issues that was identified in one of the CEO turnovers <laughs> that, that you know that was definitely a problem. Mm-hmm. And we had exactly two diverse members on our board of 15, we had one African-American man and one woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were two of the four diversity subcommittee members. <laughs> and we also are hamstrung. We have a, a somewhat unique board structure. So we actually don't get to interview and nominate most of our board directors because we have three different classes of stock. The president appoints five directors. So we have no say in that, but the president has always appointed one woman out of the five entire history. And the other two are elected by a fairly small number of shareholders. So we can make suggestions, but we don't normally present a slate of candidates that's automatically approved. They usually tell us who they want to put on the board. So it was a really long uphill climb, but we finally got there. 
So we have a woman board chair and we have, uh, like I said, we have another, there's now three women on the board in total. And the board has become aware of diversity issues and we've done much better through the board. So at my suggestion, diversity is now beginning to be part of our DNA. I suggested that we elevate diversity to a full board, one of the full board committees as part of corporate social responsibility, because diversity is really just one piece of ESG or corporate social responsibility. And that's been approved. And the other thing I am now really pushing for is as we have implemented and embraced ESG formally and are, is let's not park this in public policy. Let's make this part of our, our strategic planning. This needs to go in the strategy committee, not the public policy committee. It's interesting to hear. I hear of organisations here potentially having ESG committees. I haven't heard of many organisations having a diversity committee. Well, it, like I said, it was a subcommittee of the governance um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was specifically because we had such we had such an issue and it was such an uphill battle. I do wonder though whether having been proactive in some of those things rather than waiting, it sounds like there was a <clears throat> bit of an issue in your organisation and that prompted it. So, you know, nothing like a good crisis to prompt some of these things sometimes, but uh, I wonder about doing it a little more proactively uh, you know, I was talking to a, a board director yesterday and she was reflecting that in their recent board recruitment, they hadn't had a huge amount of diversity in the applicants. And when they'd talked about it at board, it's like, well, no one applied. And she, I think very rightly, had reflected, well, what should we be doing to ensure that they do apply? I don't think you can just say, well, we put it out there and they didn't apply, so therefore, it's like, well, what? how are we really showcasing that we are a diverse and inclusive organisation? How are we really making sure that we do get applications from people from diverse communities? Yeah, so maybe having a diversity committee is one way of doing that. It's interesting. What was the charter of that committee? Because it was a subcommittee, it really was just, it really was ad hoc. We started out with bringing in a diversity consultant. So this was, I chaired the committee for five years, but I think seven of the 10 years I've been on the board, we've had the committee and came up with some real education for the board, as well as a full program for the entire staff. And we did make progress much quicker in the main part of the company than we did on the board. So there was education, there was consulting, and then on the board side, it really was a multi-year plan. You know, we, we started looking ahead at who was likely to retire, who was rolling off, talking to the largest shareholders who were the ones who had the power to nominate members. And we do occasionally get to, we have a couple of spots we do get to nominate, mm. and it just took a lot of long-term planning and it also helped because I swim in the diversity space when the time came and you know every year even though I knew we didn't get to nominate a whole lot of boards I would always present them with a number of names of not just diverse in terms of gender or ethnicity but also you know these are these are people who have completely different skill sets that also happen to bring other types of diversity with them as is often the case. 
Oh, fantastic. Oh, Sarah, I could talk to you all day. Sarah's husband is from Tasmania here in Australia. As you heard earlier, she's from Texas. But I'm hoping that at one day in the future, she'll get back to Tasmania and we can talk all day when we're in the same country and hopefully over a nice glass of wine instead. We will one day. We will one day. I'm wondering, what are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Like I said, I spend my my day job is helping people integrate profit and purpose. And and just not leaving that in your day job, that, that I really, for myself, my main takeaway is to be more conscious about bringing that into the boardroom. And, you know, just to show up as your whole self. Is there a resource that you would like to recommend for the Take On Board community? A book, a podcast or something? You asked that question and I was I had to go back and look through all of my old books and I still keep coming down to the one that started it all for me, which is Conscious Capitalism. That was, I read that book, I went to their annual meeting, I was fresh on the board of Farmer Mac, I was still running the grass-fed beef company and I sat through that meeting and I went, you know, I could run a company again if it was one of these. And that was pretty much what was the catalyst to me becoming a business evolution coach was I decided that I wanted to help companies be those kind of companies. Fantastic. And and it sounds like you do that now, both as a director of organizations or as a board member of organizations and as a coach of other organizations. In bringing your whole self to the boardroom and, and being that sort of conscious director, Have you got some suggestions for action? What are the sorts of things that people should be thinking about doing to make sure that happens? Never stop working on your own personal development and don't be afraid to speak up in the boardroom. You know, the the corollary to that is if like, and I'm, I'm bringing all sorts of diversity to my boardroom. I'm a scientist on a financial board. I was the only woman. I'm one of the few Democrats. So I've got much more liberal views the men on the board are people I care about and respect, which has been really helpful in this politically divided time. If you find yourself in that situation, don't shy away from the social interactions because that's where a lot of the glue happens that helps your alternative viewpoints be given weight in the boardroom. Mm, absolutely. Those building those, the relationships are key. It's not just coming together and you know, nutting it out in those board meetings, however often they might be. It's building the relationships to have those deep conversations. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Sarah. It has been, I've enjoyed the conversation and I know people will get a lot out of the conversation that we've had today. So thank you so much for being a guest on the Take On Board podcast. Thank you. This was delightful. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. 
You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.